Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Dillman. <laughs> and Stephen Craig. This is episode 256. I did not edit the uh, intro from last week, so I was reading that and I'm like, wait, I am not Josh Rozier. <laughs> so I had to pause myself real quick. This one document has been copied 256 times. Yeah, 256 times, yep. I wonder if I wonder if Google Docs suffers from bit rot. Probably not. I think I think our brains suffer from bit rot. Oh, for sure. I don't. I don't remember ninety percent of the stuff from college. <laughs> I actually. I, I. I. Up in my garage, I have. Okay, so I kept every homework assignment, every exam I ever took, uh, like legitimately. There's, in fact, out of all all of my exams, I think there's only two that I wasn't able to keep because the professor kept them and just told us our grades or whatever. So I literally have every document. From Super college. secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He did. He didn't want you to know there, that you actually passed. He just gave you a seventeen because he no, liked it. You're, he he had he had top men grading <laughs> your your top your, men TAs, underpaid TAs. Yeah, well, the the top men grading your papers and so they're in the the area 51 indiana jones vault next to next to <laughs> yeah, the, right. next to the the ark of the covenant, the ark of the covenant right yeah and the alien head or alien magnetic oh, the crystal skull skulls thing. crystal skull yeah <laughs> well and so so it's funny i opened up this this uh box just the other day and looked in there and i was just looking at some of the papers i was like wow i i did this at some point in time you know the fact that you brought it from Houston to Colorado as well. That like Denver. It's a commitment. You know what's funny? Sitting on top of all the papers is my diploma in its original tube. I just never took it out of the tube. <laughs> it's just sitting <laughs> the best there. thing is you kept all that paper and never like framed the actual important thing. The, the that's thing there. that all that paper means, I did it's, yeah. it's sitting on top of all the paper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I well, I mean, luckily, no one's ever asked to uh, prove that I have the diploma. <laughs> I'd have to go fish it out. <laughs> now, I, I got my that was actually uh, when I graduated, my my um, uh, grandmother bought me the, the frame for my mm -hmm. diploma. So really nice, like UT one with like this like emblem on it. It's pretty mm -hmm. nice, actually. Oh, you've seen it. Because I had it up at the fab. So. You know, okay, so not that I need any more projects. I'm opening my drawer here. I think I have this thing. He's going to make, he's, he's going to take, you know, 20 months to build a PCB frame for his diploma. <laughs> no, I wanted to do a nice wooden frame. I've, I've shown Parker this before, but in, in school, I got to make a semiconductor die with a oh, bunch yeah. of semiconductor parts. I wanted to build like a little circular spot into a frame with my diploma and embed this into it. Uh, Cause I think that's, that would just, that would be a reason to frame. Yeah. The, the diploma. I, I, idea is what kind of magnification would you see? Would you need to see your school's logo that you put on there? Ah, uh, gosh. If, if I remember right, the, I, the, the size of the logo is 150 micron no that seems really that actually seems big maybe it's 15 micron um so i don't i don't know what kind of magnification like i you can if you look really hard you can see you can't see it but you can see where it is you can see the dot <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 because that would be cool is if you could figure out how to frame it where like you could see that logo like Cause like on mine, my diploma at the bottom, you know, it's got like the the seal of the school, right? Yeah, yeah. That'd be really cool if you could have your your die that you made, and then like a magnified version that showed like the logo of your school below it. Yeah, that'd be really cool. It would be. Might be hard to do. Like it'd be more like a shadow box because you'd have to like have a focal length and optics. I'd. What, how whatever. do they work? How do they work? Actually, you know, okay, so did you ever, did you have- Did I just scope creep your-, your Oh, you totally did. <laughs> diploma. But, but one thing, one thing that I, I never understood, um, optics fell under electrical engineering at Texas A&M. Uh, Interesting. Did, did that, was that true for UT? 
some there were some optics under it and then some most of it was under physics yeah 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 there's a there's a lot of crossover but but yeah. somehow uh if you wanted to become an optical engineer that fit under the electrical engineering uh path yeah i don't think um at ut basically if you want to do optical stuff you were a physicist mm-hmm which I, I guess makes sense, right? Yeah, but there was like there was a optical lab at at the basement, like level four of the electrical engineering building. But um, did they have all like the air tables to reduce vibration oh, yeah. and stuff? Oh, so oh, yeah. cool! <laughs> the best thing was moving like pallets through there, and like people telling you to move pallets slower. <laughs> yeah, a few thousand pound pallets. Just yeah, full it, of. Right? Yeah. That, well, that was I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast. I worked on campus at U- University of Texas at Austin with an electrical engineering uh, um, what college. It's not college, but department, I guess. And um, the my main job was to do like mail sorting and like make sure the copy machines are full of paper. But then, <laughs> then you know, at the end of each semester, there's um, the the surveys that all the students have to take i don't know how many schools do surveys but ut surveys were a big deal for for all the classes oh, and they were paper they surveys? were well at, um when i was there they were paper my last year they turned to digital oh okay at least our department but they were paper and so you had to move them from the the where your department was at up to the there was a office that was like the sorting and counting office or something like that. They had some very, you know, wank prestigious name on the front of their, their limestone built building. (laughs) And, but their, their engineering was like at the bottom of the hill. And this is at the very top of the hill on the campus. Like everything flows downhill, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything flows downhill. And so, um, that's actually how I became friends with so many people was learning where what buildings had lifts so you can go at the ground floor and like exit at another floor that was higher up on the hill <laughs> and so you make friends with like you know the janitor or like someone in the lab that had lift access and so you would you do that and the best one was the the biology building because you could because they had a lift that would go up like four stories and so you you would actually traverse like 50 feet of vertical through their their building but on the way the person i knew who had the lift access also um had access to their like freezing room which like the room the really cold room to do experiments so it would be like 110 degrees outside you're pushing this cart all the way across campus sweating like crazy and you pop in there and it's negative 20 fahrenheit (laughs) (laughs) the sweat freezes to you oh yeah and the thing about that though is that it was that lab, um, you know, it was a biology lab, and so um, I don't know exactly all the experiments, but like whenever you walk in there, like don't touch this stuff. This you basically walk in there with your hands in your pocket, so you make sure you don't touch anything, like hmm. even by accident. Yeah, you might contaminate it, <laughs> or no, just get infected by something. <laughs> oh yeah, they have COVID strains, all all nineteen of them in there. <laughs> Actually, it was AIDS. Oh. Uh, yikes! <laughs> so, they, yeah, they did uh, aid research on yeast. Hmm. Apparently, yeast was um, that you can grow cultures of yeast really quickly, and then have genetic mutations really quickly in yeast. And so, for some reason, that escapes me. It's probably because you can get a lot of gene mutations with the virus in yeast i think it's probably why there's probably a biologist that's listening that's probably like oh that detail's wrong but <laughs> if that's true jump in our slack channel and explain better to me than i remember from 10 years ago yeah, i i got a, i got an interesting uh uh tangent about yeast real quick so i parker and i've been brewing for a long time let's put it that way and and something that i've been doing since the day one is when you go to put your yeast in the beer, you I've gone through great lengths to make sure that the temperature of the beer and the temperature of the yeast are spot on perfect, such that you're pouring yeast into like it's 
perfect temperature environment. Kind of like, you know, when you buy a goldfish from Walmart, you put it in a bag and you you let the water warm up because if you throw a goldfish into like you shock it with 30 degree change, like it can't get away from the temperature, right? Like so the goldfish dies. Well, the the, the co- that concept has been true in my mind at least with yeast for a long time. This last batch of beer, I got a packet and the packet of yeast just said take from fridge, dump in in beer and it doesn't say like any like like recommendations about temperature or anything like that and i went and and did some research on this company that that put this claim on their back because it was so ridiculous in my mind and and their engineers or what a biologist that they have the the yeast people uh yeast engineers they said on their on on this youtube (laughs) thing they were like yeah, you don't need to worry about that. Like, first of all, yeast are really, really small, so they come up to temperature. They, they, the temperature change happens instantly. It doesn't necessarily kill the yeast. And they're like, we take yeast out of our fridge, which is negative one hundred and eighty degrees Fahrenheit, and we put them directly in like ninety degree Fahrenheit uh, stuff, and you don't like some might die, but it's not going to kill like half your entire culture. Which totally changes the entire way I handle that now, because like I, like I said, I went through great lengths to make sure that they were at the same temperature. You kind of don't have to do that. I wonder if it is because like organism size and then hardiness. Like we think a goldfish is a pretty hardy animal. Yeast can live anywhere. Yeah, yeah, or almost anywhere, I should say. Anywhere is a very uh, all-encompassing word. <laughs> Can it live in the middle of the sun? Probably not. Probably not. Tardigrades can, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we should probably actually start this podcast. Yeah, start the podcast, right? We're 12 <laughs> minutes in, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, the cat feed... I saw someone mention, I can't remember who in the Slack channel, was mentioning the cat feeder unreminder. This is not a forgotten project. It is just, I'm still waiting on the components to test them with. And hey, none of our projects are forgotten projects. They're just, just not lot, active. Just not active. <laughs> <laughs> on pause. Yeah. So, okay. So where are we at on it? Or you? Uh, I'm just I'm waiting on components, and the currently the Pentatar is taking all my electrical time, like all my after work electrical time is in the Pentatar right now. Um, it might be for the next couple months as well. Just from all the other stuff have to do with Pentor. Because, like, oh, yeah, sure. The board's mostly designed, but, oh, now there's a power supply, auxiliary systems, specking out bill of materials, all that good stuff. The good thing is, actually, the the worst of it is done. Like, the main board's done. The light boards are done. The wire, All those wiring diagrams are done. Oh, did you end up getting quotes for those? Fuck. <laughs> completely forgot. <laughs> oh man, that's easy. That's just that's just email and PDFs. That's fine. That's completely forgot, man. I know. I remember you were gonna do that, and we were gonna talk about talk it. about it. Yeah, <laughs> I completely forgot about it. Yep, that put it on the list. Yeah, I'm actually gonna add this to the notes so that when tomorrow when I do the the blog post, I look at it and be like, okay, I need to actually do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I run into the exact same thing. 99% of the time, the hardest thing to do is that last 1%. Like, literally oh, yeah. putting the PDF on an email and clicking send like can yeah. take longer than drawing all the all the PDFs. I mean, it only took about, probably about an afternoon, three hours. Three hours to do all those drawings, so it wasn't too bad. But yeah, it, yeah, I still haven't. I, I, I'm, I did all the research for... I got a couple of vendors to use, all that good stuff. Hit, hit me up tomorrow. I'll give you my cable guy, and uh, you can get a quote from that guy. He's awesome. Okay. Is it not China? Uh, Taiwan. Perfect. That's what I want. Because so I, I got a couple of U.S. people, and I have a couple uh, uh, Taiwan, and then I think there's one Malaysia. So, and there's a, I bet you they all come back within, like, pennies. <laughs> <laughs> what Probably. it's going to be like. Yeah. So, um, okay, so an actual project I have been doing a lot of thinking about, though, is long, long time ago in a podcast far, far away. 
Oh, I uh, love this. <laughs> the Jeep Fan Project revisits. Nice. Um, so I built. So the what the Jeep Fan Project was was a Jeep Fan controller that also was able to take sensor inputs from all over the Jeep, like temperature and. Um, I think it was. It could do. Uh, it could read the speed sensors, stuff, all that kind of stuff, and then display it on a VFD or vacuum for uh, vacuum fluorescent display. I actually got that working and used it for a bit. Um, ended up and not using it in the final at that current stage of the Jeep. Ended up not using it because um, it just it, it did too much to what I needed at the point at the at that point in time. Um. Well, I'm rebuilding the Jeep again, the red Jeep, and uh, I'm at the stage where I've got a couple like individual gauges that I, w- I have now, but I'm taking the gauge cluster out, and I want to just put one gauge in. So like a universal multi-gauge is what I want, which is kind of what the Jeep fan did. It took a bunch of different sensors and just displayed it on one display. Um. So I started actually looking like, okay, is there any off-shelf stuff? Because I'm like developing the Jeep fan into this. It would be, it wouldn't be that expensive. It just would take time, right? But I'm like, I'm, I'd rather pay a couple dinero, a couple dollars. I was about to say those are the same thing. Yeah, get something that works. Um, but the two, there's two products out there that kind of work like this, but they kind of suck. Uh, so? For different for different reasons. So one is uh, I can't remember. The, I won't name the companies, but one is they, it's actually called like multi gauge or something like that. And the problem is it's it's more of a for like race car drivers and stuff like that. And they don't have a lot of different inputs you can put into it. And the customize customizability for doing the inputs and like naming the inputs. Like I want like. I mostly want a lot of temperature sensors. Like I want to measure oil temp, transmission oil temp, all that good stuff. Where it can only do like two. It technically can do four, but two are for like air and two are for fluids. I'm like, I want four fluids. Why can't I do four fluids? In the end, it's a K-type thermocouple. Come on, guys. Um, And so, um, and the thing is, it's reasonably priced. This system is. It's not too bad. It's like a couple hundred bucks. You're in good to go. Uh, well, for for gauges for automotive, nice automotive gauges is like inexpensive. Like the gauge cluster I put in the wagon is like eight hundred. So for a couple hundred, I'm like, okay, that's not bad at all. Um. Now there's another company that. Uh, it's actually the same company with the cluster I put in the wagon. They have a really good expandable system. So you can add whatever temperature modules you want. You can name them whatever you want. You can add as many, basically any modules you want and any kind of sensor inputs and all that good stuff. The problem is they don't have a, they don't make it like a multi-gauge. You have to buy like a whole set of gauges and then you have a screen that is like a multi-gauge. I'm like, I just want this screen that's the multi-gauge that's all i want i don't want all these other gauges and so it's very expensive to go that way right it's like yeah it just oodles of money it's like almost an ordinary magnitude more than the other other company which makes sense because it's a lot of mechanical gauges and parts in that kit so i was thinking man what a what if I got that Jeep fan running again? Because I have all the code written, all the hardware is done. I actually could del- basically delete a lot of the hardware off of it. And I don't need the VFD display, I was thinking, because I'm like, man, my my rearview mirror it has a screen in it for the backup camera, and it has another input that you can display whatever you want. So what if, and, th- and these are like, sensors and stuff that you don't need to have an active display for it's mainly for what i want is basically like okay read the transmission temperature and let me know when it starts getting hot like it goes over a certain temperature and then do something you about don't need it. absolute yeah i don't need to know oh it's 162 degrees fahrenheit right now yeah I'm like no that's like normal operating temperature i don't care right. i care if it gets to 200 
because now I'm like starting to cook the the transmission oil, and so I'm like that'd be perfect because then I can have the the Jeep fan controller thingy. We'll rename it because it's not going to be that anymore, but it can when it has a you can set alerts and you can do all the configuring through the screen in in the in the uh, rearview mirror. And you just have, hey, when there's alert, make a buzzing noise and then display it on the rearview mirror. And then that way, that, that works great because then you don't have like eight bazillion gauges around your 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 car. Right, if you have and, too much data, it just doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. And it's like, I only care if it gets over, if it gets too hot. I only care if if the, uh, um, the uh, tilt sensor is at whatever or what, something like that. Yeah. Um, and so I started looking into it and, uh, so I'm like, okay, now I need to, let's say basically what it turns into is I need to build composite video output. Cause that's what the screen accepts is composite video input. And so the first thing I went do is, especially with these kind of projects, I go Arduino composite video <laughs> into Google. Don't lie. You've done this before. Oh, I do it all stuff. the time. Yeah. yeah. Cause you get a lot of good introductory topics. You get the basics about about this kind of stuff yeah and so you get this with this but an arduino especially like the uno or whatever you can't generate a lot of resolution and it's pretty blocky i'm like i need to actually display some information especially if i'm doing configuration screens through composite i need to have some fine uh resolution but there's also uh same thing with arduino there's the what's it, the samd uh series mm-hmm. uh for arduino which is the higher end core or arm core processors for it um you, you still can't it still has limitations on like the resolution like output it's still like only like a quarter of the resolution or half the resolution of a normal like composite video screen so wait which wait, is like wait. 480p can i take a guess here yeah. are you going to a teensy no uh Parallax propeller. Uh, of course. Because the Parallax propeller actually is, was has hardware to drive these kind of analog outputs. Really? Yeah. Uh, or at least the video generation part. So you can actually generate like a uh, a 1600 by 1200 display out of a Parallax propeller. No, really? Yeah. At what frame rate? Enough. <laughs> Five hertz. <laughs> but um, so I can do NTSC out of it at 480, what, 486 or 480? I think people say 480, but it's actually 486 with overscan lines. Um, so I can actually do proper NTC, NTSC output out of the parallax propeller. And guess what? The Jeep fan was originally a parallax propeller project. Oh, that's. So cute. I'm like, man, this is awesome. I just have to hook it up and bam. Whiz, you know, off to the moon. Okay, so <laughs> you're sort of, you're in a way, you're creating a new project here. I, I understand you're resurrecting one, but you're creating a new one here. But I think you can actually, I'm going to feature creep a slight bit here. You can throw in another project and get two projects for the price of one here. Because you could put the Octoprober into this and uh, make this the Octojeep Prober. <laughs> And then, okay, and, like then and then two projects are done. Yeah, I like it. Actually, we'll do that. We'll throw in. <laughs> it did not take much to convince you. Well, all this. it is on that end is just copy pasting the front yeah. end Octoprober onto. Yeah, because then that way you just use K, uh, K type terminals and uh, K type uh, thermocouples, and, and then bam. suck them right into the processor. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. The I, I don't like Octojeep Prober, but. I, so we'll have to come up with a different name for it. Yeah, but it it is it is nice to get both of those done and like done. like check mark done. Yeah, check mark done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which the Octoprober I I if if it was available I would buy it right now uh, because there's I have uses for the Octoprober. Yeah, uh, if it was I should, let me preface that. If it was available and done, I, I available would, and done because it is available. Yeah, it is, right, right. I could build it right now. It just yeah. wouldn't mean anything. Yeah, the and actually, I was thinking about this is looking at a lot of universal multi gauge stuff out there. There, they are fairly expensive to run. Um, 
So this could actually be a way maybe to offer a product. I don't know yet if I want to, because there's, especially when you uh, start offering products that are cheaper than other products, you start getting it. The support starts racking up because you get more beginners using your product. Mm-hmm. Is that necessarily a bad thing? Good thing? I don't know. Uh, I just know from supporting other inexpensive products is support ends up being your biggest expense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I don't know if I want to do that, but it's something I might I might explore depending on how it goes. I I would say you're already working on a product right now uh, that's yeah. not complete. Pentar, you, yeah, you're the Pentatar. So make the Octo Jeep Prover and I think and call it's it good you offer. You. Yeah, I think you offer it as open source. Yeah. And be like, if you want to build this and take it, go for it. Yeah. Um, and keep it open source. I'll probably right. open it under, I think, was it the share like is what I usually do. It sure. Well, it's the, uh, was it open? Bah, 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 I can't remember. Open hardware? Now, I haven't actually looked at the licenses for hardware in a long time. Um, cause I used to do stuff under, oh, that, that project doesn't even have a license. <laughs> Whoops. Sorry for the, uh, air silence people. I'm looking up what the five years ago. So I usually, I used to do creative commons, uh, non-commercial share alike, which is basically you can take this and learn from it and use it for your own personal projects. And if you but you can't commercialize it. And if you modify it and sell it, you have to publish the, the, that's what the share like means. So you have to publish your changes. Mm. So I, I really like that license from the fact that how I view open source is I view open source as open source means you're, you're using it to learn. Um, it's not there to copy. <laughs> that's not what everyone else thinks. No, because everyone copies. Yeah. It's not there to copy. It's there to learn. And that's what I really appreciate about the open source community is, is open source. Everyone want, is, is doing it to learn. But then you get a couple of people who are just using it to copy and make clones. And so all that does is basically cuts the, the designer out of their hard work or the designers out of the hard work. Mm. Um, hopefully, I don't get any Twitter flack for that because... Man, four or five years ago, that was a hot topic in the hardware industry. So hmm. I don't know if it is anymore because I haven't been so stuck in or I, stuck is the wrong word. Sucked into the heart of the manufacturing world where it doesn't really matter, right? Well, <laughs> so. uh, other than and you've probably run into this before, but I've um, I've certainly had people submit projects and say like hey i would like this built blah 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 and i asked questions about it and then they link me to a github repository oh yes yes, uh, yes and yes, that's yes. when i'm like ooh, yeah i mean like, that before that's cool and all i'm, I'm glad that you, you you're pursuing this but like i think you need to have more information than someone else's github yeah i i do agree there so but yeah i don't that's topic for another day and a couple more beers. I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, right. <laughs> open source and cloning versus learning, but yeah, I do. I, I do think the biggest thing about that's that's why I chose this license for my stuff back in the day. I don't know if there's a better license now. Um, it also doesn't prevent people from in other countries like China to uh, just copy your shit. Yeah. So <laughs> it's all open. Anyone yep. can download it. Yep. Cool. Neat. <laughs> so I, I've got a I've got a fun uh, a fun thing that uh, I actually kind of got working yesterday uh, and I was spending some more time on it today. <clears throat> so something I, I kind of posted on the Slack channel for some for some help and got some got some good uh, aid from some people. So I, I was in need a handful of months ago of a negative in, negative out switch mode power supply, which Although that that sounds like pretty straightforward, it it isn't necessarily as straightforward as you think. So so basically, it's a switch mode power supply that. Uh, it, I, personally, I needed a, a buck converter, so I needed a buck converter that would take a negative twelve volt in and produce negative five point five out, and that's not as common as you think. Well, 
first of all, negative voltage rails are not as common as as, uh, as positive rails for obvious reasons. But uh, so so can you just flip your multimeter leads around? <laughs> I wish it was that easy. <laughs> I really, really wish it was that easy. So, it's, it's, it's topics like this that really show my lack of depth knowledge on this kind of stuff. Because, again, I do mostly digital. So if you're below zero, holy shit, is that a number two? That's I don't like know. a different dimension. Is it, negative, is it an imaginary one? <laughs> it, and, and that's just the thing. Like You are the standard. You are the electrical engineer that all other electrical engineers are like, and I'm not trying to like water you uh-huh. down or anything like that. But what I'm saying is like uh-huh. the world knocking me down a peg. The world lives from zero to three point three, right? Like that's that's it's actually one point eight volts. Now. Okay, now it is sure one point eight <laughs> volts. I uh, but 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 so like I'm one of those weirdos that has to work with negative voltages, which by the way I freaking hate negative voltages because they just. I know they're the same thing upside down, and and that's obviously a joke. But like they're, they're confusing, they they because they they confuse just, your normal train of thought. So you have you have positive rail and Australian rail. <laughs> yes, uh, northern the <laughs> southern hemisphere. <laughs> yeah. Right. The oh, the electrons go counterclockwise in this in the southern hemisphere. Right. They have a different only spin when you on flush them. the toilet though. They have a different spin on them. Yeah, something like that. Um, so, so uh, Phil G and Tom Anderson from the Slack channel kind of weighed in on my problem and uh, gave me some suggestions. And specifically, Phil turned me on to a um, a particular part, which is the LTC thirty eight oh five by uh, Analog it's Devices. LTs. Oh, well, well I mean, that's they, why they got bought. They got bought, right? So it was yeah, it, <sighs> formerly right. LT. So well, you said so, LTC. I'm like, yeah, that's a linear, linear uh, tech device. So, so here's the thing: there, there is a really simple solution to this that I really wish I could have uh, done. But oh my it's god, not they just work. copy. Pa- Sorry, I'm going to interrupt. They just yeah. copy pasted the pictures from the linear tech website. Well, I mean, if you're adopting an entire company and you have to like consume them quickly, like you're gonna find a way to make that work, right? But it's just like the same. It's okay, whatever. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. Well, so, no, it's just that it's just that Linear Tech had a a specific look to their PDFs. They had a, a yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Whoever yeah. ran their like, uh, it's not marketing, but there's a stand their standards department yeah. for like their look and feel. Um, did an amazing job because like they have special fonts they use for their data sheets. They have special colors like that, like tan peach color that they use <laughs> all everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so what, the thing is, though, the moment you see like that font or that color, you're like linear tech. Right, right, right. And yeah, sorry about that. And I opened up the PDF and was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's still kind of there. It's just like a mismatch of everything now. Oh, yeah. I mean, look up like everyone that's that's listening. Go to the link that we're going to post in the in the podcast notes. And like, so you pull it up. It's analog devices website, which is analog devices is like gray, blue, uh, and gray, blue. <laughs> And then you have, and then you have all these images that are copy pasted from linear text website, which are this like black and peach, peach, yeah. peach and tan. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a copy pasta for sure. Yeah, uh, it's great. So it's good. So it's good. One of the the easiest. <laughs> it's actually not that hard to derive a negative voltage rail from a positive voltage rail. You can actually use a, a significant amount of controllers out there and you just flip everything on the output and take off the negative side and and you can get a negative rail. I really wish I could do that in my situation. The reason why I can't is because my application accepts both positive and negative input power. And if I were to derive my negative rail from the power rail, or I'm sorry, from the positive rail, now I would have both my positive and my negative rail being uh, derived from my 
my positive input power and my load would be unbalanced. Uh, so, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So most people who use our equipment purchase a, a, a box, a rack, and they purchase a power supply for that rack that has a rated positive and a rated negative output on it. And in general, you try to keep your load equal between the two. It's never going to be equal, and it's almost always tipped towards the positive. But if I were to derive my own internal negative rail from the positive, I would put the entire load of my entire unit on the positive, and that would easily consume the entire power of the entire user's case. So unfortunately, I can't do that. And that that's like easy mode and cheap mode. I, I wish I could do that. So I needed a a buck converter that accepts a negative voltage and spits out a negative voltage, which is surprisingly hard to find. Um, just because like who needs it other than me? It's 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 weird. So just put some big diodes in there. <laughs> yeah, just just well that's actually that is the reason why I'm going with the switch mode is because I don't want to just dump everything as dump heat. it all. Yeah, because the, like, <laughs> the thing is I designed a new product that has a lot of features and a lot of cool stuff going on under the hood, and so much so that doesn't make sense to run it on the high rails. I need to drop my voltages because I'm burning so much in heat that the thing gets so hot. Like it just gets like, you can't touch it. It gets so hot because I've got so much crap going on in there. So I need a switch mode to uh, get my voltage down without just burning it all as heat in regulators and, and, um, and everything. So you can have the first module that's liquid cooled, man. <laughs> Yeah, right. And it's the only module you have because I consume your entire power supplies back. <laughs> uh, available. Your current. entire bank. Yeah. <laughs> so, so okay. So, so Phil G from the Slack channel suggested a d design note 1022 from analog devices, which if you go to the link we send you uh, for the LTC 3805, down under like design notes in their little section, they actually show how to derive a negative uh, voltage from a negative voltage on this which i've got a strange conspiracy here for a second like two hours ago i was at work and i knew i had the podcast and and it was the end of the day so i was just like oh i'm gonna talk about this part so i go to analog devices website and there's two design notes both of which uh talk about deriving a negative voltage uh from a negative voltage and these two design notes have been on the website forever like i mean and what I mean by forever is like the last couple of months, every time I've gone, they've been there. And it's weird because they both say the exact same thing. They were just written at different times by the same guy. One was design note 1022 and one was AN 486 or something like that. So design note or application note, whatever. So I drive home and I'm writing the notes for this podcast and I go there and one of them is missing. One of them is gone. They knew I downloaded it and they went and checked it and got rid of one. I don't know. It's a conspiracy. So regardless, they both say the same thing. So who cares? So, so yeah, the, this design note, it's a little... It, it's a, it, was, it was a glitch in the Matrix that got fixed. Oh, yeah. It's deja vu. That's what it is. It actually yeah. wasn't ever to. I just... It was in my mind the entire time. It was your mind the entire time. <laughs> So we're in the lamest version of the matrix. Oh, for That's sure. We're true. in the 1999 <laughs> version. If you, no, if this you, is the version after that. <laughs> oh, 2020 version. Yeah, the 2020 version of the Matrix. If you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to last week's episode, the uh, Star Wars podcast. There's a lot about this in there. So, uh, so it, it's it's funny because this this design note is just a two page design note with like a handful of paragraphs just saying like oh it works basically, so I I I threw this whole thing together, and uh, just adjusted my resistors because they were trying to derive negative three point three volts, which I have no idea what you would ever use negative three point three volts for, but parallax power in reverse, <laughs> yeah like yeah right it goes backwards instead of forwards. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but, so I just no, adjusted because I needed 5.5 volts. No, because you could technically just wire it up with, as the ground is your positive rail um, on a chip. That doesn't always work. You have to you have to be careful about that. I mean, if it's isolated DC, it should work. Yeah, if like I said, it doesn't always work. There are situations. In fact, this chip doesn't necessarily work that way. 
and, and, and if you look at the design note on this, it, it the actual IC is the power is connected to ground and ground is connected to negative input, right? So it is it's working the way you expect it to. But in terms of deriving its feedback voltage, it actually uses a current mirror in a like a, a double transistor. Uh, configuration or in, or in order to drop current across the resistor for feedback applications uh, because this particular IC you can't just like throw a resistor on it like you would in the power I'm sorry in the positive range so it's kind of got a like a I don't know it's fun to look at the this circuit because you have to jump through some hoops just to make it negative um, it's it's weird regardless I built this entire thing up and fired up and lo and behold it actually works go figure an application note is correct correct <laughs> uh, yeah. the funny thing is the first time i fired it up uh it it, it was spitting out around 5.5 volts which is what i wanted i say around because i think my resistor tolerances are i didn't use fantastic plus minus 10 percent uh better than that but not much so 5%. uh yeah. So yeah, so I'm I'm getting I'm getting what I want, and I had a load attached to it that was like a one milliamp load or something like that, just really really light. So I was like, okay, cool. So I attached like a, a two milliamp or three milliamp load to it, and it just dies. <laughs> just like, <laughs> so it works enough to just push like a 10k load, but as soon as I put like 5k on it or something like that, it dies. And and what, uh, the the interesting thing is there's there's a current sense resistor in or a maybe current sense with the application of current limiting resistor in it. And in the data sheet, they call out like 15 milliohms or 60 milliohms, or you can calculate it to be whatever you want for current limiting. Well, I didn't have like a 0402 15 milliohm resistor just yeah. lying around. So I threw a one ohm resistor because that's the lowest I had in there. Oh, so it's current limiting like hard. It's currently, which, which is super which funny makes because sense. Like, it's current limiting, but I got so lucky with a one ohm resistor that it, it worked for the load that I had just default attached to it. But yeah. as soon as I went anything above that, it current limited. Uh, and and crap the bed. So. Did you did you run the calculation on like what a one ohm for the current limit feedback would be? Not yet. No, uh, I I bet you it's really close to what that that. I think the threshold is, is like right there. Right there. Uh, so I got lucky because it would have been shitty if I turned it on and it didn't do anything because I'd be like, oh, what did I do wrong? Uh, so you know, uh, instead of instead of trying to like derive a, a really low value resistor, I just made like a long length of wire and just soldered that in with the hope that it was like a handful of milliohms, and that totally works. And I put like a two hundred milliamp load on it, and <laughs> it worked just fine. <laughs> so I am gonna go and back calculate everything because really this this initial turn on was just to make sure that it was actually functioning. Yeah, now I actually right. have to go and tune it and, and do things. Cause like in the standard analog or even LT way, like if you go read the data sheet, it has like 4,000 different modes and you can do all these different things from like six pins, depending on how you configure it. So it's like, ah, oh, great. Okay. I got it functioning. Now I got to go and actually like spend the time and work it all out. So, but when the moon is waning and your resistor's tombstone, the chip will do this. Oh, I <laughs> analog devices, their their products are awesome because they do so much stuff. They're amazing, but they're, they're also really like, they have really good they have really good applications that are I think it's because they sell their or they they market their devices as applications instead of just things like of that they can do stuff that's kind of a weird way to put it but that's what it feels like hmm. yeah like you open up their data sheet and it's like this is the specs but look at 90 pages of application notes in the data sheet and that's like oh yeah <laughs> you know you know who okay slide tangent the one company that i feel has some of the weirdest offerings is microchip and the reason why, like, microchip has, like, when I say microchip, you think pick processor, right? You think, like, that's their bread and butter, or I guess AVR and, and stuff. I'll right? say AVR now. Yeah, yeah, that's their bread and butter. But, like, if you go look at microchip, they'll they'll have, like, one random transistor that is, like, why? They sell, I don't they know. They sell LDOs and stuff, too. Yeah, they, they sell LDOs. They actually sell. Is it, like, MCPs what they start with? Uh, isn't I think MCP is their um, 
Dax. Uh, you might be right. I think, yeah. yeah. They, they, they sell like a, an 8, a 10, and a 12-bit DAC that all start with MCP. Uh, so we actually use uh, a voltage reference that is a No, MCP is uh, op amps. Is it? Yeah. So I think we actually both had it wrong. <laughs> Microchip puts MCP in front of like all of their products. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <clears throat> Sorry. All right, got something down the wrong pipe there. Uh, so, so actually, uh, funny enough, we ha- we use MCPs or abuse MCP op amps in a uh, in a particular way. The MCP six thousand and one, six thousand and two. They're low power op amps that work really well in um, uh, single supply mode. And uh, a single op amp, we can we can use a single op amp to accept a wide input range and we power it from zero volts at ground and 3.3 volts and the op amp does the job of clamping to zero to 3.3 so we don't have to have external components doing it we just let the op amp like hard clamp the rails (laughs) and what's great about that is it makes a really great input buffer to a processor so you don't know what the user is going to plug into your device but the mcp makes sure that it's between zero and 3.3 ah and we just oh, so uh, we just abuse the rail to rail operation of the op amp. I'm surprised you don't just use like a 3.3 volt zener. Uh, zeners are not great for clamping because they have a really soft knee, and so they'll curve off the very end of things. Op amps oh. are great because they have a super hard knee. Ah. Uh, on top of that, because op amps are you know if you have them in an inverting configuration or or whatever, they they work. Uh, they they have um. They're in your inverting configuration. Repeating the course. Oh, of course. They, so since since they basically work in a uh, in a current configuration, you can way over voltage it, and it'll still work fine. You know, because most of the time we have input impedances in like the hundred k range. So even yeah, if someone yeah. so puts it, like twenty four volts on the input, you'll still just get three point three on the output. That and you want you're not gonna well if you spec your op amp right, you you're not gonna blow your your input uh, to your op amp. Yeah. Cute little trick there. Interesting. I'd learned something. I actually probably going to use that on the uh, Jeep fan controller. Yeah, it's a it's a cheater way for getting um, specific voltage. And and for some reason, the MCP six thousand series clamps their rails super close to the actual rail, like really really close. So it's like passable. And if there's any offset about being close to three point three volts, you can just calibrate that out in code, and it works out fine. So. <clears throat> Where were we at? Oh, yeah. So the, uh, you know, it's funny because when it comes to these negative SMPS uh, configurations, all of my searching have been components that are made by analog devices or LT. Uh, in fact, LT specifically. And and there's like, there's application notes for these other LT parts. They're like, yeah, we can do this, but they're like $9 a piece, you know, or Oof. or in quantity, they're like, still like six bucks or something like that yeah so the ltc 3805 is not a particularly cheap in quantity it's still like buck 75 buck 50 something like that uh but it's not too bad for a specialized active component a specialized active component right and and it solves a big problem of ours of generating way too much heat by just dumping it in resistively so thanks to uh phil g and tom anderson from the slack channel for helping out with that i'm I'm super happy that it it works. I mean, I still have to tune it, but I've already proven that I can make it happen with loads in the 200 milliamp range, which like that will already service the the thirstiest of our compo- of our modules, you know. Cuz we are talking about the negative voltage rail which we we use a lot less power from the negative voltage rail for a lot of reasons. Well, I mean, LEDs don't run on negative rails. No, uh, could though you could, but I mean, since we do so much op amp work, almost all of our negative rail is dedicated to just bipolar supplies on op amps. So that's usually where it gets all consumed. Yep. So sort of in the same realm, I kind of have a cool chip that I want to, uh, didn't we have a whole segment like this back in the day? Uh, like the. Wow, God, what did you call it? Like the Indiana Jones ancient mystery Chinese chips or something like that? That was different segments. Okay. 
We did have that was the ancient Chinese semiconductors. Yeah. Um, bagel pin kind of stuff. Bagel pin kind of stuff. Uh, I'm still on the lookout for that kind of stuff. I still haven't. I, I, I you have to keep one upping yourself. Oh yeah. And I had bagel pin is yeah, like man, pin, that that's so good. Right there. <laughs> yeah. So this one, what was that segment called? Chip of the chip of the week, wasn't it? I think it was chip of the week. Yeah. I'm gonna look up an old episode, see once we pops we up. we probably only did it like three or four times total. <laughs> so okay, well, while Parker's looking that up, <clears throat> there's this really and our old podcast notes are hard to read. <laughs> there's this cool chip. Uh, called the SSI 2130, which is made by what Sound Semiconductor is the name of the company. Uh, so this is a VCO core all in one package. VCO meaning voltage controlled oscillator in one package, which uh, VCOs are, are fairly common if you go to Mauser or something and, and look at them. But they're they're not low frequency VCOs. They're all, they're all like I don't know in the in the megahertz and above. So if you need something that is uh, lower down in scale, it's a lot more difficult to find. Uh, pretty much to the point where you have to make your own VCO, which is its own exercise by itself. But uh, SSI created the twenty one thirty, which is the the entire core of the of a VCO in in one chip. Which, if you've ever designed a VCO, like that's like whoa, that's kind of cool actually, because it has the exponentiation inside it has temperature compensation inside it has all the uh signal conditioning and and um uh, wave shaping all done inside of one chip and in singles if you just find it off the shelf this chip is like eight nine bucks but in quantity you can get it for just a few bucks if not down towards one or two dollars and that's pretty significant uh this this ic allows a lot of really cool features like the data sheets like 30 something pages because you can configure it in so many ways it's in like a small uh either like a three millimeter by three millimeter or four by four qfn 32 package but it gives you triangle output it gives you a saw output it gives you a square output a sine uh output it also gives you a duty cycle adjustable pulse output um and all of these, like I said, are temperature compensated with the exponential or a linear voltage input. So if you want to control this with a, uh, a microcontroller, it's really easy to do. And it runs off of, it actually has really strange rails. It runs off of a positive 5 volt rail and then anywhere from negative 5 to negative 18 on the bottom side. So it's lopsided in a weird way. It does require a really accurate voltage reference which microchip has some pretty awesome voltage references that are 0.1% uh, initial accuracy and like 50 ppm uh, temperature. So, and they're not that cheap. I mean, not that expensive. So one of those plugged into this thing uh, gets you kind of in a really good spot. You can get somewhere in the range of 10 octaves with it. Uh, I think what a thousand to one. Maybe I'm wrong on that. 10,001 uh, range on it. So you can typically cover like your entire audio range all the way up to like 60 kilohertz with this thing. And then if you're willing to throw negative voltages into the front, you can get it down to as slow as you want it, basically. So it makes for a really cool, easy to implement VCO that uh, has a lot of applications in audio, but if you're wanting to do something like, I don't know, if you want to do like a network analyzer in low frequency range, this could make an awesome sweep generator, uh, which is easily controllable with a processor. And uh, like I said, you get all of those uh, functions out of it. One of the things though that it includes, and one of the reasons why it's so attractive is it has what's called linear through zero as a function. So all oscillators oscillate in the positive frequency range. So if you think about zero Hertz is DC and then anything above that is positive frequency, there's, so you have an offset of your zero point, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like in general, you would have an offset, but 
what if you kept going negative from that offset? Eventually you'd reach zero frequency, right? You'd, you'd effectively reach zero time and you'd have a flat line, right? Well, this, this chip offers a feature that is really cool in synthesis, maybe not particularly cool for anything else, but uh, it's called through zero where you actually reverse time and you go into the negative frequency realm. So effectively what it, what it means is you're just flipping the phase. Uh, you're going 180 degrees out, but it allows you to actually hit zero and then continue past zero and go negative. So you can do frequency modulation. You can modulate up and down without actually stopping the oscillator because a lot of problems uh, with, with VCOs that you run into is if you're, if you're parking at a particular frequency and you go up and down from there, well, down has the problem of there being like a, a stopping point for the oscillator. But if you have this through zero function, you can continue into negative time realm. And so you don't get tuning issues and you don't get this weird, like chopped off frequency. Uh, if you keep going negative and this, I see with a handful of extra parts, just a few op amp stages, uh, will allow you to implement through zero, which traditionally has been very difficult to, uh, implement in vcos so that's a really cool feature of it so if you want to check out a cool chip check out the ssi 2130 i see lots of uh really cool applications outside of audio with this i do like the name of it the 2130 no it's well oh it's, the, the fat keys it's that's trademark <laughs> right <laughs> the fat keys trademarked voltage controlled oscillator it, it has a lot of other stuff like, uh, you know, if you want to control got a lot of stuff in here, if you want to control the range or the scaling of it. So how many volts it takes to double your frequency, like all of that's controllable. I mean, there's just there's a lot of stuff behind this. Um, they, they really sort of uh, what's it called? Uh, they, they geared it towards people who want to make like a keyboard synthesizer and have most of the stuff integrated. That's what I was looking at. Is it's a lot of, like, you could build a keyboard synthesizer um, almost with just this one chip, almost. Yeah, all the other functions like the amplifier and the and the uh, uh, the filter and the envelopes and stuff, you'd have to do separate. But this does, like, 90% of the work. And yeah. one of the biggest attractive features of it is that it's all inside of one package. It's all temperature compensated. So as the die raises in temperature, all of its features go up and down with it as as you're slamming those hot licks those fat keys <laughs> and and the, the frequency stays steady <laughs> the, here's the thing the sine wave generator in it is temperature compensated as well so like i said earlier if you wanted to make a network analyzer and you wanted to do a sine wave sweep and and look at an fft kind of thing you could totally do that with with this and a processor uh so i don't know that I almost thought of doing something like that. And I was like, I've got too much already. I don't want, I don't need to add stuff. <laughs> I do like how it, it's, it's this, it's funny. Sound semiconductor can't be that large of a company. They still suffer from the marketing on their first page of their data sheet. I mean, they all mainly, do. <laughs> they all do, but especially they're like the sentence here. The SS12-130 requires minimal external components and is available in a diminutive 4x4mm QFN package. It's like, why do you need that adjective there? Just say in a 4x4mm QFN package. You know, I, I can I have an answer to that. And and the reason why I have an answer to that is because I called SSI the other day. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I called them to talk about some of the things in, the, in their data sheet because their data sheet's really good, but it doesn't have all the information I wanted. So I called them up to get some clarification on a handful of things. And one of the guys was saying, like, man, a lot of our clients are smaller companies that Perhaps, don't yeah. normally deal with QFN-style packages. So they are... Um, so they have to kind of like build up like, hey, man, KOFN is cool. You should start to use this stuff because like not everything uh. comes in a dip package. So that's exactly what they're trying to do there. In fact, what's funny is they're actually releasing a dev board, which is just a QFN to dip adapter. Uh. <laughs> so you can breadboard with it. 
it, it's funny because like this is a, this is a chip that is like in my industry is like way high tech, like awesome stuff. But they're yeah. still dealing with like hobbyist level guys who are like, oh, I don't like it because it's a QFN and I can't solder those. And I get it, like they're hard to solder. But like you know, mm. those people can buy prototypes through Macrofab. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> what segue to the outro of this episode? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, th this is not available directly at like Mauser or anything like that, so it might be hard for Macrofab to go and get it. No, I, not sure? hard. Macrofab could do it, but you'd have to work a deal. Oh yeah, we have to go to AmazingSynth.com. <laughs> Buy them at nine bucks a piece. Or amplifierparts.com. Yeah. Oof. I have an account with them. Oh, yeah? Do you get discounts? I do. But their shipping is brutal. <laughs> so he just gets rid of the, <laughs> the any kind of discount. Where are they from? Uh, Tucson. Ah, uh, that would make sense. They have three different websites. Uh, that are all almost identical. They have AmplifiedParts.com, CE Distribution, and TubesAndMore.com. Uh, all three of them are almost identical, and they're all the huh. same company. Just different branding. Dif different branding for different people. Yeah. Just, just, that baffles my mind, but it makes sense. So, Well, that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dillman. Take it easy. Later, everyone. Thank you, Yes You, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at Macrofab. At, I can't even keep a straight face trying to do that voice. <laughs> at Longhorn Engineer or at Analog ENG or email us at podcast at Macrofab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at Macrofab.com slash Slack. Seriously, hit us up. We'll probably talk about it on the podcast. <laughs>